friends were going to transition. And Pastor Peterson has agreed to answer some questions. So Mark is going to pull out a mic. Actually, there's one on this side too, I think. And um, I'm going to invite him, if he would, to come up to the stage. And you're all, you're all wired up? We just invite you to bring forward your questions and just come up to one of either of these mics and we'll just take it as it comes. You realize, don't you, that um, there are parts of the church where when the bishop or the leader sits in the chair, speaks ex cathedra. <laughs> you have to listen. talking about the difference between being infantile and becoming like little children? I guess I... Ha, <laughs> 
nature or scripture mediated through nature? Are they separate ways of listening to God and how he reveals himself? Um, I think of the same thing. I think they're, they're congruent, they work together. Um, the center of the revelation is Jesus Christ, the incarnation. There's no spiritual truth, no theological truth that is abstract. It always has to do with history, with creation, with the grounding, we, with our relationships with other people. It's never private. So I think what happens is we develop our appreciation of um, what's around us, the creation. Uh, we're, we're given access to incarnation just by the familiarity of stuff. Uh, so I don't think they're really two different things. Psalm 19 um, is a magnificent, um, I think, uh, kind of um, coordination of the two parts of, but two parts but not separate. They're organically uh, connected. And I think that's what many theologians are trying to say these days, that we're not, we don't have a natural theology. We don't just learn um, learn about God by watching the seasons or the birds or the butterflies, um, but it's but it is all incarnational, and um, Jesus is the key to that, to all this. It's the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, but it's not a word abstract. It's always a word enfleshed, and that's our task as teachers of Scripture, forming people by Scripture to uh, take scripture seriously as formative uh, and uh, you know it's it's hard to do I mean it's so interesting there's so much to know and it's so exciting um, I spent the first few years of being a pastor of just trying to get people excited about Hebrew and Greek <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work <laughs> Speak about the how to be countercultural without being merely condemning. Uh, you spoke yesterday about the prevalence of mean voices today uh, in the world, in the church. How, how do we function counterculturally without being merely condemning? That's a good question. It's hard, um, especially when you're the one they're being mean to. <laughs> Uh, I think we have to cultivate a kind of um, courteous speech um, and accept our critics, uh, not, in, uh, not treat them in kind, that is, treat them like they treat us. We've got to learn how to love our enemies and um, bless those who persecute us. Um, but I think you know, we've, we've lost a great deal, both in church and our culture, of um, just civility. And I think of all the people on the face of the earth, and in America particularly, we have to learn how to be a Christian witness with our language, not just with the truth, but the way we use language. 
Language is a powerful, powerful thing. And when we use it badly, it kills, destroys. So I, I would hope that, um, that there can be kind of a movement, um, starting with us. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of other people are starting it too. But taking seriously the, um, the power of words, of language, to both kill and to save. Um, and uh, we've got a lot of people on the killing fields these days. And, uh, you know, another thing we can do, we can listen to people who are doing it right. Um, we have a lot of people in our culture who are using language in gentle and yet firm ways. Um, trying to find ways to work together and not against each other. Um, so we don't lack for companions or allies. I don't think we should feel embattled in this. But we do need to take it seriously. Yes? My name's Kevin, and I have a question for Pastor Pete. Um, when children develop object permanence, it tends to be a developmental marker that marks them from that point forward. But what troubles me is that spiritually, I develop object permanence, and then I think I lose it. It comes, it goes. Uh, at times I think I have spiritual attention deficit disorder. <laughs> and if you've ever felt that way yourself, I wondered what are some of the things that help you return? You talked about the necessity of our returning. When you find yourself losing that sense of object permanence, what helps you return? Good question, Kevin. Is that Kevin? Yeah. Um, I had a time, I just finished recently a few months ago writing a memoir in which I tried to understand what the pastoral vocation has been for me and how, I, how it developed in me. And I, and I tell a story about, or I tell about a time in my life when I was in the early years of being a pastor, when I went into what um, I named the Badlands. And it lasted for six years. And I lost what, I lost object permanence. I didn't know what was going on. And what I did then was I just really quit. Um, I realized that I had all my life been a competitor. And um, I loved competitiveness. It was adrenaline to me. And I realized at one point that that's no way to be a pastor or a professor. Um, we're dealing with something that you don't do it by doing it better or more strenuously or energetically or visionary Ali. Um, you do it by sinking yourself into the, I use the word humus, uh, the soil just the ground stuff. And I didn't do anything for, at least I didn't do anything strategically for six years. I prayed mostly by rote. I was spent a lot of time in silence. 
Um, I, Jan and I began, well, we, we were, we'd been keeping a Sabbath quite, quite seriously, but we made it more, more primary in what we were doing. And um, I didn't try, I didn't, I quit trying. And uh, I think through those six years, I became a pastor. Um, and I, I got the object permanence back. <laughs> and it's, in a sense, it's never left. You know, that, but it, all of us, all of us are trained by our culture into being consumers and wanting more and looking for the best. And that's deadly to, this, to the life in Christ. It really is. And we've got to find voices to help us, um, friends who help us not do this consumer life. Uh, and, but, but, the, but reading the prayers kept me in touch with a language and um, kind of a rhythm, and um, it carried me through. Anybody else? You know, I kind of like speaking ex cathedra. <laughs> <laughs> to give you another opportunity. <laughs> we live in an institutionalized world. We, li we live in schools, churches, theological seminaries, and so on. What might moving to square one mean for those institutional settings? I can connect your suggestions for how that relates to us personally in those challenges. Any hints for how that plays out in the institutional and collective realities of our world? Wow. Um, you know, I think, I think the first thing I want to say is that um, I really think institutions are important. Um, <clears throat> There's a lot of um, anti-institutionalism in the air. People want to be spiritual without being religious. Um, they want to do their own church. Um, and uh, it's epidemic in America right now. The dead church, I think that's a stupid thing to say. Uh, without graves, there's no resurrection. Uh, so if it's dead, that's maybe a good place to be. <laughs> We're, we made the first precondition. But a, a man I admire much, a wise person, and I refer to him quite often in my writings, Baron Friedrich von Hugel. Um, he's not German. He just has a German name. And uh, he was British, a layperson. Um, and, uh, and a wise person, a great letter writer. And he uses the picture of, um, of a tree. He's, he's talking about the institutional church. And a tree has bark on it. And the bark is dead. But that dead bark protects the tree from disease. And the only thing living in the tree is that li thin little strip of cambium that goes down between the um, bark and the heartwood. And um, most of what you see in religion, von Hugel says, is dead. But it, talking about the institutional deadness, but it's protection. It keeps you from 
being going off on your own, making up your own religion, um, taking yourself too seriously, uh, developing a sense of uh, self-righteousness and superiority to all the people who are um, dead. Um, so I take that I take that metaphor seriously of the, the of the tree and the way the tree works, and. Um, Mostly, I found in myself, um, being part of an institutional church, that there's, um, if you wait around long enough and watch more, more carefully, there's a lot more life there than you ever thought. Um, we make snap judgments. Um, I remember one of our grandchildren, this was not Andrew, this was Hans, uh, and we were driving, Jan and I were driving someplace, and. Hans was, I think he was about five years old. And he says, I am so bored. I'm just bored. Well, Hans, what do you mean by bored? Well, I just, I'm just, it's just boring. Everything is boring. Well, he was five years old. So of course he's bored. <laughs> and, um, but the, the rest of us who are not bored, we can maybe help people notice who's there, what's happening, what's writing, who's writing. Um, and there's, you know, the life is just, it's seething all around us. Um, but it's, um, there's a lot of sin in the world, and the sin is um, sometimes ugly. But it's, um, we're protected by some of this institutionalism is a way of keeping us uh, obedient when we don't feel like it. And that for some of us, that's a lot of time. Um, there are the obvious things to talk about, you know, in developing a life of worship, of community worship. But uh, that's, that's so, um, the way you do this in any one institution is going to be different from others. So I think you just work with who you have, with who you're with, with the um, institution that you have. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, I don't want to encourage any anti-institutionalism. We have enough of that in America. I think it's time to express our appreciation.